Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. The Learning Scientist Podcast is funded by the Wellcome Trust. Hi, I'm Dr. Yana Weinstein, a professor at UMass Lowell. And I'm Dr. Megan Samaraki, a professor at Rhode Island College. And together, we co-founded the Learning Scientists Project, and we apply cognitive psychology to education for students, teachers, and parents. Up to this point, we've been talking about six strategies for effective learning. And these six strategies come from decades of research from cognitive psychology. Cognitive psychologists have gone back through the literature and identified these six as having a lot of evidence that they promote learning. Last episode, we talked about retrieval practice, and today we're going to talk about space practice. So what is space practice? At the core of it, it's a very simple idea. Let's think about how students typically study for exams. Most or a lot of students tend to do something we call cramming. That is, they might stay up all night right before the exam, or maybe spend a day or two before the exam just looking over all of their notes and trying to cram them all into memory so that they can regurgitate them on the exam. Space practice is the opposite of that. So instead of reading and rereading right before the exam, space practice involves building in opportunities to look over information and practice it for weeks before the exam instead. So spacing out learning over time. The important thing about this strategy is that it actually becomes more helpful the longer the delay between the space opportunity and the final test. That is, if the exam is happening literally in a minute or two, then fine. By all means, the student can read and reread really quickly, cramming, and then they'll be able to probably remember some of that information in the exam. But as soon as the exam is over, that information is going to fly out of the brain as quickly as it flew in. With space practice, on the other hand, the information is going to stay there for longer. So typically we see effects of space practice after a bit of a delay, such as one day, rather than on an immediate test. So there's a couple of different ways that we can go about trying to implement space practice with students. We can try to get the students to do this on their own when they're studying at home. This is probably more useful for older students. And then we can also try to implement it in the classroom. So let's first talk about trying to get students to do this on their own. It's actually really hard to do. So if you think about the last time that you had to plan ahead for something well in advance, create a schedule and stick to it, it might have been really difficult to really stick to that schedule. This is really difficult for everybody. It's not about students versus teachers or kids versus adults. People in general just have a really hard time at planning well ahead and then sticking to that plan. Time management is a big issue. One way of trying to get students to do this is to have them take out their planners or their calendars, maybe even an electronic calendar or an app, and ask the students to explicitly create blocks of time where they can study for specific topics, maybe even for multiple classes throughout the week. I've tried to have my students sort of plot out what they typically do and then have them look and find pockets of time where they might study even just for a little bit, no more than half an hour, but each day. So we actually talked to students aged uh, around 14, 15 in England recently. And when we talked to them about this, we asked them to get their planners out and try to make a commitment to studying for as long as they thought was reasonable on three or four days in a given week. And so we said to the students, look, if it's five minutes, if even if it's just five minutes and that's the longest amount of time you think you could stick to, that's fine. Because guess what? Five minutes is infinitely longer 
than zero minutes. So just put five minutes into your planner and see if you can stick to it. And as the students were writing it into their planners, we walked around and we saw that, you know, most wrote down something like half an hour, 20 minutes. Maybe some did write down five minutes. Some even joked about writing down five seconds and we were like, oh, you know, probably won't get much done in five seconds. But they got the idea that they could try to make a plan that was more or less reasonable for them. And it's really important to make sure that then you follow up with the students and make sure they're sticking to the schedule. So you might even then have them write down when they're actually studying. How long are they spending? And how efficient are they? What are they actually doing while they're studying? So for example, are they spending... 20 minutes rereading their notes? Are they spending 20 minutes practicing retrieval? What are they doing during that time? And do they feel focused or are they falling asleep? Because eventually some patterns might emerge. They might realize that studying at midnight doesn't work so well or um, studying in the afternoon is very difficult for them. But for some students, they might find, hey, this 10 minutes before getting on the bus works really well or 10 minutes before, before football practice works really well. And so following up with them and making sure that they're sticking to their schedule is helpful and allowing them to adjust their schedule because ultimately they need to come up with a study schedule that's going to work for them. It's useless to put in blocks of time and then ignore them. So they need to adjust so that they're actually able to follow the plan that they set out. I wanted just to pick up on a point that Megan made earlier about how hard it is for people in general to do this. So I wanted to tell a little bit of an anecdote about how I tried to implement space practice into my own learning. So in May of this year, 2017, I was giving a talk in French, or I was planning on giving a talk in French in the University of Toulouse, and I had never given a talk in French before. I do speak French, but not in a work context. So about six weeks out from my talk, I was trying to think about when I would prepare for it. My instinct, believe it or not, was to set aside two whole days right before the talk, essentially to just cram the whole thing. Because I thought, you know, this way I'll have that time blocked off. It will be very efficient. And as I was about to do this, I thought, wait a minute. I'm giving a talk on space practice in French and I'm cramming for it. This is ridiculous. I came to my senses and realized that I needed to space out my studying for this talk. I decided that I would try to set aside half an hour a day during the week to practice my French talk. I found a half hour period where I was mostly free so that I would stick to the same time. And so I put in a half hour block at 11 a.m. every day. Now, what do you think happened when 11 a.m. rolled around? Well, half the time I was engrossed in something and I thought, well, not right now. The other half of the time I was tired or hungry or something else. And some of the time I just ended up pushing that half an hour block later and later on in the day and then never getting to it. But other times I did actually sit down and practice my French talk. And I'm pretty sure that I did so more often than if I hadn't blocked off those half hour periods. So that's all to say that it is difficult, but it can be scaffolded by reminders. And then finally, another thing that might be useful, especially for students who are very busy and they have a lot going on, is to sit them down in class and talk about how the schedule is working and whether they see results from spacing out their practice. A lot of my students um, find it very difficult to plan ahead. They've got a lot going on. They have families. They're taking care of children. They're taking care of um, elderly parents or aunts and uncles. They're also often working full-time and they're full-time students. So this is really difficult and they think, well, I just don't have the time to do this and I don't have the life structure that's going to allow me to do this. But what they find when they talk to one another is that a lot of them have a lot of different things going on and it's not just them. Everybody finds this to be very difficult or at least most people find it very difficult. 
And so by talking to one another and discussing, it sort of made them feel better and, and helped them to make a better commitment. So if adults find this difficult, what about children? Well, rewards can certainly help. But another thing that you can do as a teacher is simply build in space practice opportunities into your teaching so that the onus is no longer on the students, it's on you. How can you do that? Well, a really tricky overhaul kind of way would be to take the curriculum you're currently teaching, probably in blocks, and cut it up so that you're covering the same topics spread out over time rather than chunked together. But that takes a lot of work. It would mean really a whole school approach, changing the way that you teach everything. And we're not really for advocating for these kinds of huge changes because it's a lot of work. Instead, what we would suggest is something that's a lot easier to do. For example, trying lagged homework. What's that? Well, what happens is a topic is taught and then perhaps a few weeks or a month later, homework on that topic is given to the students. It's as simple as that. What that means is that students don't just do homework on what they've been taught today. They do homework on something they were taught in the past. So now, once they go to class, they know that's information that they're going to need a month later. Currently, in a typical class, the information is tested or practiced in a homework and then doesn't really come up again until the final exam. And that's why we need that cram period. But if the homework was actually delayed so that students had to revisit the information a month later, it would stay fresh in memory so that less cramming needed to take place later. Another way of implementing space practice is to combine it with retrieval practice, which is the strategy that we talked about last month. So again, the idea of retrieval practice is just that bringing information to mind is extremely beneficial at promoting learning. And so you can combine space practice and retrieval practice. Spacing it out doesn't really tell you what to do, it just tells you when to study. It's not necessarily about spending more time, just that you're spreading it out over a longer period of time, but then what do you do during those periods of time? Well, one thing is to practice retrieval and combine these strategies. That's sort of the gold standard. There's a lot of evidence supporting retrieval practice, a lot of evidence supporting space practice, and putting them together can be really, really powerful. One example from a teacher about a way to do this is to um, create little quizzes at the beginning of each class. So Mr. Tharby, a teacher from the United Kingdom, wrote a blog about his method for promoting retrieval practice and using space practice altogether. What he did was at the beginning of class, he would give the students six questions to answer. And the first three questions were always about content from the most recent class. The fourth question was about content from a week ago. And the fifth question was about content from a month ago. And then finally, the sixth question required the students to integrate information from most, the most recent courses and then also information from a long time ago. And so just six simple questions. But in doing this, he's promoting retrieval practice and then also implementing spacing by giving questions about topics that hadn't been covered in a little while. The great thing about space practice is it works in a lot of different domains for a lot of different skills and different types of content. So it's not just about learning facts. It does help for learning facts, but it can also help for more complex types of learning situations, such as learning from text passages, even problem solving, and motor skills as well. So if anyone's ever tried to learn a musical instrument or get better at sport, 
you know that you need to space that practice over time rather than just cramming. I like to use my sister here as an example. She's a concert pianist and she might be a little upset by this, but she knows that she crams for every single concert that she ever has to play. And what that means is that she literally stays up all night long practicing her pieces. The next day she plays a brilliant concert, goes to sleep for 24 hours, and then has to do that cycle all over again for the next concert. If she just spaced out that practicing to doing a few hours per day instead of an all-nighter before each concert, she would end up actually learning the pieces and needing to practice less each time. Whereas my sister, who is in medical school, um, has been told over and over and over again that it's really important to space and really important to use retrieval practice. And her medical school, Roslyn Franklin University, actually talked to the students when they first started medical school, right before the beginning of their first year, about the importance of spacing and retrieval and showed them some of the experimental evidence. And so, of course, these students are medical students, so they're really, most of them anyway, are really down with evidence-based practice, and so a lot of them really embraced it. And my sister and some of her friends created very elaborate schedules to study for their boards, and it um, more than likely helped them score well on their boards. I, on the other hand, somewhat recently got married, and my, at the time, fiancé and I were practicing for our first dance, and we had a friend of ours help us choreograph a thing. We're not we're not great dancers, but we thought we could at least give it a go. And even if it went horribly, we figured it's our wedding. Everybody has to clap anyway. And we had a plan to space out our practice to try to practice the dancing. And other things just sort of got in the way. It kept falling off. And we had a very hard time finding time to practice. And we could definitely feel the pressure right before the wedding. So to sum up, on today's podcast, we talked about space practice. What's that? Well, it's the opposite of cramming. We talked about how to try to get students to do it. It's hard, but if you help them with their schedules and their planners and follow up with them afterwards, it can be done. What's easier is giving students opportunities to review information during your teaching. So for example, giving lagged homeworks or integrating lagged or spaced retrieval practice into your classes. We talked about different ways of doing that and our different experiences of trying to space our own practice. If you'd like to reach us with a comment, the easiest way to do that is to go to the front page of our website, www.learningscientists.org, and fill in the Contact Us form. We'd love to hear from you. Look out for our bite-sized research episode later in the month. In that episode, we'll talk about a specific research study related to space practice. See you next time! The Learning Scientist podcast is funded by The Wellcome Trust.